Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be in the Old Testament today and next Sunday we're going to be in 1 Kings both weeks. And I'll remind you, um, because you probably need reminding, or maybe if you're a guest with us today, over the last seven weeks we've been talking about anxiety. I've also called it the disquieted soul. And there's probably many people that, for you, it may resonate with you. Others, you may say, I don't have anxiety, so this doesn't apply to me. But I want to encourage you to follow along in the Scripture because, for one, I think that you know, God will speak to you through His Word. And I think you might realize that whether it's anxiety or depression or the disquieted soul or anger or whatever it is, we all have these internal struggles. So I think this will apply to you in one way or the other. And if you think about getting in your car, turning on your car, does anybody ever see this? You see this light, this warning signal that says, engine service soon. Anybody? I don't think I've ever owned a vehicle that doesn't pretty much have this every time I turn on the car. I don't know if it's just the type of cars I buy or what. I had a friend when I was a teenager, and I said, hey, your engine service soon light is on. And he said, well, it's East Texas. Everybody has that. And so I've lived my life with this narrative of, yeah, you're just supposed to have that light on. But apparently it's not always supposed to be on. That light, that warning, those little red symbols, the orange symbols on your dashboard when you turn on your car, it's a warning. It's telling you something is wrong and you need to check in on that. You can't just ignore it forever because usually that's my plan. Anxiety works that way. It's like your body and your mind's way of telling you, hey, something's not quite right and you need to pay attention to what's going on inside of you. It's also like a sunburn. How many of you have already been to the beach or you've gone swimming and you've been sunburned this summer? Anybody? Okay, maybe a few of you. More sunburned people in the first service than the second service. Uh, but you all have that experience, I'm sure. You, you go out in the sun, you're going to the beach, and you forget to put on sunscreen or you don't put on enough, and then you get pretty badly sunburned. I've had some pretty bad sunburns in my life. And you don't know at the time that you're being sunburned, Right? You don't know until you, you stop, you get out of the sun, you go indoors, and then you realize, ooh, my skin is red, it's hot, you know, some, man, I'm sunburned. You, like, you don't know it until afterwards, and anxiety kind of works like that too. It sneaks up on you, it sneaks up on you, and then when your body starts responding, your mind starts responding, then you realize, oh, something's wrong. Uh, there's an author that I really like named Peter Scazzaro, and he said in a podcast recently, he said, your body... It's not a minor prophet, it's a major prophet. <laughs> I like the way he worded that. Your body is a major prophet. And he said the Holy Spirit is speaking through your body as an invitation to rest. So we've talked about the physical and psychological symptoms of anxiety. The three main ones, the spinning mind, the racing heart, the tightening gut, and there's so many more than just those three, but they probably fall under that umbrella. When your body starts responding, it's telling you something. And it may be the Holy Spirit, it may be God's way of inviting you to a time of rest with the Lord. The text that we're looking at today uh, has to do with Elijah, a prophet I'm sure that you've heard of before. And when we meet Elijah today, he is riddled with anxiety, and his body is telling him it's time to slow down. And what I love about this story is not only do we learn from Elijah, is that if you've ever 
hit rock bottom and you've really struggled and, and you don't even want to continue on, well, you're not alone because Elijah has been there before. But what I also love about this story is that we get to see how God slowly and gently begins the process of restoring Elijah. So let's walk through the first seven verses. As I was preparing for the sermon yesterday, I made the decision that instead of doing all 18 verses like you see on the screen, I'll save some for next week. So you've got to come back next week to get verses 8 through 18. But right now we're going to fo focus on the first seven verses, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Just one verse, but it says a lot, so I need to give you a little context. Here's the context. If you went back to chapter 18, you would see that on Mount Carmel, uh, Elijah meets 450 prophets of Baal, the little g-god Baal. And he has this contest with them. The contest is, whose god is real? My god, Yahweh, or your god, Baal, and Yahweh triumphs. Elijah's God wins, our God wins, and then in the end, Elijah kills all of those prophets. He has what we might call a mountaintop experience. He is riding that adrenaline high in 1 Kings chapter 18, and now Jezebel finds out about it. So obviously she's not too happy, and in verse 2 it says, So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I do not make your life like one of them. She's not happy about what happened to these prophets of Baal. And so she puts an assassination threat on Elijah's life. And she is a person of power, so that would be quite threatening to Elijah. And I think verse 3 says a lot about the disquieted soul. I think verse 3 lets us into this, this crash that Elijah's experiencing. In verse 3 it says... Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there. He drops his servant off, but what, I, what really catches my attention in verse 3 is that it says he was afraid and he ran for his life. Now this verse is really interesting to me because I've already mentioned chapter 18. In chapter 18, Elijah is this guy who is filled with confidence and resolve and trust in the Lord and he has no fear. I mean, we see in chapter 18, Elijah at his highest moment, like I mentioned, that mountaintop experience, but then you get here to chapter 19, Jezebel threatens his life, and now he is just running and he is completely afraid. It's like a totally different person. You see him at his highest moment, and then you see him at his lowest moment. In verse 4, this verse is, I think, very heavy and kind of sad. In verse 4 it says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he drops the servant off. He's traveled into his wilderness, into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. How do we get to this place? I read this and, and that's my question that comes to mind. Is this powerful moment, this adrenaline rush, that, and then God working powerfully through Elijah in chapter 18 on Mount Carmel. How do we get to this place? Is Elijah depressed? It sounds like it. Does he have anxiety? Sounds like it. 
Is he emotionally exhausted? Sounds like it. Is he burned out? Yeah, that's probably the best way to describe what Elijah's experiencing here. He is completely burned out. If you've ever been close to burning out or, or you have burned out at some point in your profession, in your work life, or maybe in your involvement with church and ministry, then you know what that feels like and the way that you think is not rational. You think everybody's out to get me, everything is terrible, and I am no good. All of my efforts have been wasted. Elijah here says, I'm no better than my ancestors. And he just wants to quit. He says, take my life. He's burned out. When I was at ACU, I had this professor. uh, I I took a a Christian counseling class, and my professor was a great teacher. I just can't remember his name. I've been thinking all week, what was my teacher's name? He was a great teacher. He taught me many great lessons about counseling and working with people. But he told us this story that I'll never forget. Previously, he he had had these three students who were on fire for the Lord. They were passionate about Uh, God and service, and and they felt this calling to help people who were struggling. And this was before the time where cell phones were very accessible. So they had this idea on campus to start a a phone number that was available 24-7, and if you were struggling with sadness or grief or trauma or anxiety or thoughts of self-harm or whatever it may be, that all you would have to do is call this number. And one of those three guys would be there to receive you, to listen to you, and to pray for you. It's a great idea. It was a noble idea. But my professor said that he warned them. He he commended their thought, but he said, you need to be careful because if you try to make yourself available 24-7, your soul will eventually be drained. It will wear out. Well, being these young college students that were energetic, they didn't listen to his advice, and they just made themselves available 24-7, and they promoted it on campus, and before you knew it, They had people calling. People would call in the middle of the night. People would call during the day. People would call when they were in class because there was a lot of people that really were struggling. Whether it was with sadness or depression or some kind of relational issues. So people would call this number and it started to disrupt their lives. It disrupted their sleep. It disrupted their ability to study. It disrupted their social lives. And before you knew it, within about six months, They shut it down completely. These three students were completely burned out and they were even in their own faith crisis. Now this professor had warned them. He told them, it's a noble idea, but you can't go 24-7. You have human limitations. They thought, well, God called us to this ministry. He will give us supernatural power. And sure, God is capable of giving us supernatural energy, But God also invites us to rest. And I think God invited them into this ministry, but within limits. And they didn't really know their limits. So they burned out. And that's, I think, what's happening with Elijah here is he's experienced God work in powerful ways, but now he is burned out. How will God handle Elijah? That's what I'm interested in. I mean, what we see the very human side of Elijah here, but how will God handle Elijah? How does he respond to this broken prophet? I think we learn a lot about God here, and we'll just focus on the next few verses. In verse 5 and 6, it says, He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. 
He ate and drank and then lay down again. Now this may just sound like a short, non-detailed verse, but there's a lot going on here. Sometimes when you're worn out, when you're exhausted, emotionally exhausted, when your body and tired and mind, body, soul, all of that is weary and tired, one of the best remedies is to just sleep and get a good meal. John Ortberg once said, but sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is just to take a nap. And I see that in several of you every Sunday morning during the sermon <laughs> as you take your spiritual rest each week. And uh, you don't have to take it during the sermon. You could take a nap at another time. But we all need rest. Uh, I, I can't help but think about my own life. And I can kind of compare to what Elijah's going through here from my own experiences. Uh, preparing a weekly sermon for me is a grind. It, it, several weeks, it, it starts, you know, 1 Kings 19. This study, this research, the reading and all that started several weeks ago. And then you get to the week of, and you're like, okay, i got to start writing something down on paper. It's got to form into some kind of sermon. i got to edit things out. i got to review it. Then i got to edit some more. And there's many times, like I did this weekend, actually yesterday, we, you printed the whole sermon out, you're reviewing it, and then I think, I'm not going this direction. Scratch it, throw it away, reprint it, rewrite it. You know, you go through this whole process reviewing it, show up on Sunday mornings, and you preach it to the first service, and then you're kind of like, oh. And then you got to breathe and then get ready for second service. You preach it again. I love doing this. I believe God has called me to it. But when I get home on Sunday afternoons, I'm drained in a way that I can't really describe. I've been tired before physically. I've been tired emotionally. I've been tired from a, you know, a hard workout or whatever. But this is a different kind of tired. And when I get home every Sunday afternoon, I can't help but fall asleep. I sit down on the couch and I'm out. And most Sundays, my loving wife will make lunch for me, and she'll wake me up with a plate of food. I'll muster up the energy. I will eat it. And sometimes I fall asleep while I'm eating. And then when I'm done eating, I'm out again. And I hardly ever take naps. So it's just a kind of a different kind of depletion of your energy. So I'm making a stretch here, but in a small way, I can identify with what Elijah's going through. He is so tired. Not just physically, but he's drained from all that he has experienced, from this mountaintop experience, and now he's in the valley. He's experienced the adrenaline high, now he's experiencing the adrenaline dump. He falls asleep. An angel shows up, gives him food. He doesn't even question, hey, where did this food come from? He just eats it and goes back to sleep again. In verse 7, it says, The angel came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So for a second time, this angel feeds him. We don't know how long he let him sleep. There's a lot of details that we don't really know. But as I've been reading over this the last few weeks, one of the things that really struck me is that sometimes God feeds you through other people. Here in this case, God feeds Elijah through an angel. In other cases, through ravens. In other cases, through a widow. But it makes me think about belonging to a church. And I see it all the time. When somebody is sick, hospitalized, when somebody has lost a loved one and has to endure a funeral, or goes through a major surgery, or has a child, you name it, somebody will start a meal train. And we've been on the receiving end of this several times. When we are at our weakest moments, God shows up. He provides food for us through other people. And that's, what makes, that's one of the many reasons that makes me thankful to be a part of a church. 
people that love you and sometimes will provide for you in times where you struggle providing for yourself. And I'm thankful for the people who even think to do that. Sometimes God feeds us through other people. And that's what's happening here with Elijah. He needs to eat. He needs to sleep. And God shows up through the form of an angel and provides food for him. Now, the sermon won't stop here. Let me say a few more things. But I am going to stop it in verse 7. We'll pick up in verse 8 next week. There's a few things, though, that I want to talk about for a takeaway, a practical application. What does this mean to us as followers of Jesus as we read this strange story about this prophet who is emotionally drained and worn out, he's experiencing anxiety, depression, burnout, all of that. You, know, you say it, you name it, that's what he's experiencing. What do we learn about, what do we learn from Elijah? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about our own discipleship? Well, there's two things. The first thing I think we learn is the need to rest. We all have limitations. And there is going to be times where we just need to rest. And one of the things I love about the way that God responds to Elijah is the first thing that he does is he lets him rest. He sends an angel to provide food for him and then lets him go back to sleep. God could have showed up to Elijah in the desert, in the wilderness, under that broom bush, and he could have said, Elijah, wake up. Why are you acting like this? Why would you pray that prayer that you just want to quit and for me to take your life? I just came through for you in a big way on Mount Carmel. You know, you had faith then, now you don't have faith. What are you doing? God could have done any of that. Instead, God knows that the first thing that he needs is just to rest and to eat. So God lets that happen. I think that says a lot about how God works with us as well. Uh, it was announced a few weeks ago that I'll be taking a sabbatical pretty soon in eight days. So I'll, I'll, from the end of June through July, I'll be taking an extended period of time of rest. And it's taken a lot of study and research to prepare for this time of rest, for this sabbatical time. And I've read a lot of books over the last year, listened to podcasts, talked to people, Zoomed with different people, and there's two verses that keeps coming up over and over. I want to share both of those with you. One comes from Mark chapter 6. In verse 30, I'll start there. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to Him all that they had done and taught. So just to fill you in, Jesus has been training His apostles in the Gospel of Mark, teaching them the ways of the kingdom of God, teaching them the euangelion, the good news of Jesus, and now He sends them out. And they are proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. They are healing the sick. They are casting out demons. They are doing the work of Jesus. And they're either rejected in a town or people swarm them. So they come back to Jesus and they, kind of like Elijah, are experiencing this adrenaline high and they go back and they tell Jesus all about it. And look at Jesus' response in verse 30. 31, I mean. It says, Then, because so many people were coming and going they did not even have a chance to eat. So Jesus said to them, you see it in the red letters, I don't know how well you can see it, but He says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That's the invitation that He extends to His apostles. They've done a lot of good work. They've been quite busy. But now it is time to rest. What Jesus, I believe, is modeling for His apostles and for us is for one, prevention. Preventing burnout. Sustainability. He wants these guys to continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus for many years to come. 
And if they go at the pace they're going at, they're going to burn out quickly. So he is modeling for them healthy boundaries and healthy rhythms. The rhythm of ministry and being around people, but then getting away from everybody to be alone with God and get recharged. So I keep reading this invitation over and over again, these words from Jesus. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And that's what it's time for in my life here in the next few weeks. And we had these experiences through different transitions in life, and, and maybe, maybe this is something you need to hear on a daily basis. That there's a time in, during each day you need to hear Jesus say, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Rest in the Lord. The other passage that keeps popping up as I've been studying about sabbatical is Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Without getting into a full study of Isaiah and the full context here, what God has offered them is a chance to return to Him, to repent. But He's also offering them rest. In repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength. God offers them a chance for renewal, for rest, and to go to a place of quietness with the Lord, and then they will find strength. The Lord is providing an opportunity to rest in Him. And when I talk about rest, I'm not talking about rest because you have a lack of self-control and you stayed up all night playing video games or you can't turn off the TV and get some sleep at night, that's a different kind of rest. You need to rest with some self-discipline. When I'm talking about rest, it means for those of you, whether you're serving others through the church or you're taking care of somebody in your family that's sick, the list could go on, but you have emptied your cup. You have poured yourself out on behalf of someone else in the name of Jesus. You need to be filled back up. You need to rest in the Lord. Not just rest, but rest in Jesus and with Jesus. Okay, I come back to Elijah now because that's what God provides for Elijah. The first thing, we're going to read the rest of the story next week where Elijah goes to Mount Horeb and meets God. We, we heard that in our scripture reading today. But the first thing that God allows Elijah to do is just rest and sleep and eat and recover. So that's one lesson we might need to learn from this story is the, the need to rest to go be alone with Jesus. But then the second lesson I think we learned from this is the need to re-engage. Now I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. We'll study this more detail next week. But in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 15, after the earthquake and the wind and the fire and the powerful displays from God, God says to Elijah, go back to where you came from. Go back. Elijah wants to quit. He's burned out. He's ready for God to just take his life. Well, now he's had his 40 plus days of being alone, being in the quiet, experiencing God on the mountain, experiencing God in the wilderness. And after his time of rest and recovery and renewal, now it's time to re-engage. And God is telling Elijah, now it's time to go back and I have more tasks for you to accomplish. And we'll talk next week about how he, re, he reframes Elijah's anxious thinking. But when it comes to re-engaging after a time of rest, let me give you just two examples and then we'll conclude the lesson. One example comes from what Ken talked about earlier, the letter that he read. 
I thought about that this week. It, it did not initially correlate this, but uh, as we have a need for volunteers within our church and so many churches, especially a need for teachers within the Bible class setting, we read a letter, hey, we have a quarter coming up in the fall, or we're trying to give young parents a break so they can come to a marriage class, but we need people to step up. And what we've heard a lot of is, well, I used to teach classes, but I'm done with that. But my thought was, maybe you've had your time of rest. Like Elijah, everybody needs a time of rest, but maybe you can hear God saying, now it's time to go back from where you came. Now it's time to re-engage. For some of you, the time of rest might have been the last 20 years. As we need teachers, maybe, it, maybe you hear the Lord saying, it's time to re-engage. And the other example I'll give is just kind of a personal example, really more of a confession. These last few years have been really draining and tiring. There's been a lot of great things that have happened, but I've found myself feeling kind of like tired to my bones. That's why I keep saying, I feel like I can relate to Elijah here. And I was sitting through a funeral a few months ago. I've been to a lot of funerals this year, and as I was listening, I didn't do much talking at this funeral, so I was just listening all the memories of this guy's life and the good things that he did for people and the missions he was involved in, it just dawned on me, I used to be passionate like that. I used to have more of a fire within me. And I've just kind of slowly witnessed that fire start to dwindle. And honestly, I think it's just because I'm tired. And as I get ready to enter into a season of rest, one of the things that I'm open to and I'm praying about and thinking about is how does God want me to re-engage when I come back? Is He going to reignite some of those old passions and fires or is there something new that He may be leading me into? But one of the things I realized from Elijah's story is God wants us to rest, but it's not a permanent rest, at least not here on this earth. He calls us to a time of rest, and it's during that time of rest that He clears up our cloudy thinking so that we can know where it is we need to re-engage. But if we are followers of Jesus, we constantly have this need to keep re-engaging and being a part of the ministry that God has called us to. So this morning I want to offer an invitation, and it's a twofold invitation. One is, where do you see yourself here? Are you at a place where you, you're worn out, you're weary, you're exhausted, you're depressed, you're anxious, whatever, you know, whatever it may be, and maybe you just need to find that rest for the first time or again. Jesus promises us, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Maybe that's what you need, or maybe you need to be challenged to re-engage. You need to recommit. Well, if you have one of those two needs or something beyond one of these two things, uh, we make ourselves available to you during this invitation song. If we can pray for you, if we can point you in the direction of Jesus, however we can help you. Come see me, come see one of our elders. I want to invite you to stand. We'll continue to sing.